This is Small Talk with 101 ESPN's Michelle Smallman. Hi there. Welcome into episode 34 of Small Talk. I'm your host, as always, Michelle Smallman. Great podcast on deck for you today. You're going to love the interview we have lined up for later in the pod. We're going to talk to Joe Flam. He's the executive chef of Spiaggia and Cafe Spiaggia up in Chicago, Michelin-starred restaurant. What's up? But most people probably know him from Bravo. He's a Bravo celebrity because he is the top chef season 15 winner. That's right. He did not pack up his knives and go. Instead, he packed up his knives and going to chat with us on this podcast. So we're going to get to him a little bit later. But before we do that, three random things with Tommy Freeze Pops. Tom, hello. How's it going? Good. How are you? You ready to go? I'm excited to talk today, and I'm even more excited to listen to Joe Flam later. Because I loved him on season 15 of Top Chef. The thing about Joe is that when you saw him on TV, I've met him in real life. That's exactly who he is. That's so awesome. Because it came across, he seems like the type of guy I'd love to just like bro out with and like eat a bunch of meatballs, you know? Totally. The way he cooked in altitude, respect. Respect. Skill set. That's untapped skill set for a lot of chefs. That's why he's the winner. Exactly. Okay, well, first three random thing, Tom. So I am going to be in a wedding this weekend. I'm so excited about it. One of my oldest and dearest friends, Amy, marrying the love of her life. Shout out to Amy. I love Amy. Shouts to Amy and Chris. So Chris, great guy. Great guy. Perfect pair. Anyway, going through the wedding process has sparked a little bit of frustration inside me. Not because of anything that I have to do for the wedding, but it just... It's just another reminder of the disparity that exists between men and women. And you're probably thinking, okay, where are you going with this? So for guys to look their peak best on a wedding day, whether you're the groom or you're in the wedding party, what do you do? You have a couple cocktails the night before, you roll out of bed, you take a shower, you throw on a tux, you look great. Everyone's (laughs) like, wow, guys clean up so well. You showered and put on an outfit. Maybe shaved. Maybe shaved a little bit, put some gel in the hair. I'm more a stubble guy these days, though. A little bit too much stubble. Yeah, I know. I know. You should trim it up a little, Tom. (laughs) Anyway, the legwork required for guys to look their peak best is not that much. We're talking maybe 20, 30 minutes, and then you're off to cocktails again to just relax before the wedding day. What do girls have to do? You have to work out forever, okay, leading up because you're wearing a dress. You have to get a spray tan. We're talking hair. We're talking makeup. We're talking extensions. We're talking eyelashes. We're talking dress, heels, jewelry. For girls to get ready, the amount of time it takes girls to get ready versus guys for a big day is just really unfair. I get it because every wedding I've been to, I have been hungover at. Really? Because every single person comes into town and you're with the boys and girls and, you know, you're having some cocktails. Like you said, you're maybe having a few pops, having some late night pizza. It's a great time. So then everyone rolls into the wedding at, you know, 1 p.m. or whatever time it normally is. And you're just kind of all like, hey, how's it going? Hey, you got here in time? And the girls are always just very rushed and they're 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 on edge. They're like, hi, how are you? You know, they, they look so good, and we're all just kind of like, whatever. You know, I threw some gel in the hair. It's all good. Uh, so I don't I don't know how it feels to deal with that at all. I mean, I, so I'm a groomsman in two weddings coming up, and I haven't enjoyed getting even, like, a suit fitting. Like, that was yeah. too much for me. Imagine trying on dresses. That's the only thing I have to do. Getting him altered. It's a whole process. <laughs> right. And I'm not I'm not working out in anticipation of these weddings either. Like the right. suit is my size and I'm going to go wear it on that wedding day. It's just, I don't I, think I've tried it on yet even. Pro- exactly. Thank you for proving my point further. <laughs> I wonder what it would be like to be able to really drink the night before and not worry about, oh, my face is going to be swollen and I'll have bags under my eyes and I'll be exhausted. What it would be like to be a guy for just one second at a big event and just be able to party, roll out of bed, and then continue partying and not have to worry about any of that other stuff. Right, and just drink so many Bloody Marys. <sighs> That's the move. Bloody Marys the morning of a wedding day with the boys. I mean, that might be the most basic thing I've ever said, but I can't think of a better feeling, honestly. The worst component of the getting ready process, by the way, and I know this is specific because not everybody does this, at least for me personally, is the spray tan. So this wedding that I'm in, the bridesmaid's dress that I'm wearing is kind of in light pink, you know, kind of a neutral pink. And if we're being transparent on this podcast, and I hope we can be, the color of my skin currently is um, alabaster. It So basically, if I didn't get a spray tan, I would be a big neutral blob, like walking down the aisle to a stand behind my friend to support her on this big day. So you have to get a little spray tan. 
to get a spray tan is such a process. You're like, okay, I have to go in, get the tan. I have to make sure I have to wear gross clothes when I go in because it's going to get on my clothes. Then I can't shower for X amount of hours to really let it seep in your skin. Then you smell terrible for a couple hours. A lot of times you <laughs> sleep in it overnight. Then you get in the shower and it comes off your off your skin and it stains the bottom of your tub. And then even then it looks a little dark. So you have to go in for round two and you have to exfoliate so you don't you don't look weird. It's just it's. <laughs> it's actually an insane concept when you think about it, but it's a necessary evil for some people, myself included. Okay, two things on the spray tan. One, the smell. I want to dig in deeper on this. So gross. So what does it smell like? Death. <laughs> I can't. It is such a hyper-specific smell. I can't even equate it to something else. You know, sometimes when you get sunburnt, it smells like burnt skin, and mm-hmm. you know what that smells like? Yeah. This is not burnt skin. It's more like chemical skin. It's so gross. It's the grossest smell in the world. That I don't even know what that smells like, but skin, chemical, having a scent, I don't like it. And I'm actually, I'm going to see you quite early tomorrow after you get this spray tan later today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so am I going to smell you? Well, I will have showered. Okay. But there is, it, it usually takes two showers to get the full smell away. <laughs> So, yeah, there may be a lingering after effect. A little effect. scent? Okay. So I'll lean a little more left tomorrow Yeah. than I normally do. Okay, second question. So you have to clean your shower right after you do these spray tan showers? Sometimes it leaves... that sucks. Yeah, sometimes it leaves a little residue in the tub area. Oftentimes, it'll if you're in the shower for a while, it will kind of flush through. But, yeah, that sometimes is an after effect. That like, oh, there's really sucks. spray tan on the bottom of my shower now. <laughs> Yeah, cleaning a shower is uh, not something I enjoy doing in general, so that that blows. <laughs> Nothing about the spray tan just then made me feel confident that I'd ever want to get one. Uh, don't think I'd ever need one, so um, good luck with that. Yeah. It's also like Kanye says in No More Parties in L.A. when he says my sheet's still orange from your spray tan. <laughs> if you don't shower before, it gets on your sheets. It gets on all your clothes. Uh, cleaning sheets is another, you know, it's a necessary evil, but always a pain in the ass. Oh, I love cleaning my... Okay, so I'm worried about leftovers. The other thing that I'm hyper meticulous about is I love clean sheets. And I will wash... I have probably like six sets of sheets. Whoa. And I cycle through all the time because I love at night when you get in your bed and it's like fresh sheets. No, I love the feeling. It's just it's uh, it's definitely an effort thing. But it's that's definitely effort. a built-in in. thing in the schedule where I'm like, Ugh, all right, time to clean the sheets. So hey, good luck with the spray tan. That that really stinks. Um, Literally and figuratively. And, and I guess one one more thing to to put a bow on this on the spray tan stuff. So uh, what if it's not a good spray tan? What if it oh, happens happened. and you're like, they did a bad job? Do you, is there a way to kind of reverse it right away or you're kind of just stuck with it for however long it lasts? Generally, you're stuck with it. I had a situation once, another wedding I was in, bad spray tan. It was a little too dark and I had to spend hours exfoliating. So exfoliating in the shower. I had this little um, glove that you put on, and you had to rub it on your skin, <laughs> basically to try to rub layers of your skin off. Oh, God. Being a girl's hard work. Well, hey, I'm here for you, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> okay, random thing number two. Let's keep it moving because we want to get to Joe Flam. Yes, Flam. So the next two questions are going to be food-related questions, and I feel like when you have a guy like Joe Flam on the podcast, you have to ask the obvious question, and that is the Last Supper scenario. You're on death row. You have one last food request. Where are you going? What are you going to consume when you know the end is near? Okay, so I struggled with this because if you guys don't know, I love food a lot. So for my appetizer, I'm going with a Chili's appetizer. Triple dippers. You get boneless buffalo wings, big mouth bites, Southwest egg rolls. On top of that, I'm also doing the endless chips and salsa. That's my app. Can I give you a tip? Okay. If you're going Chili's chips and salsa, also get a side of ranch. We we know where that tip came from. Bubba. No, ESPN. that tip came from me hungover in college. Really? Pre-meeting Bubba. Okay. Yes. So that, that's, a, that's a classic Bubba move. Okay, so Chili's apps go in there first. Dinner. Huge ribeye grilled specifically by my dad the way he knows I like it. Smothered in onions and mushrooms. A1 sauce. Judge me. Don't care. <laughs> Skillet potatoes on the side. Almost breakfasty type potatoes. Maybe a little home fry-esque. Maybe throw some peppers in there. Mm. Grilled asparagus. Tall, 
ice cold Gansett for the beer. And I, I'd like a water on the side. And uh, French bread to kind of mix up all the juices. You know, you got to have a nice bread on the side of a steak dish. And then dessert, not a big sweets guy, but just, you know, in the spirit of this uh, ask for the pod, death by chocolate cake from Greg's in Providence, best cake in the world. That is my death row meal. And I would be a very, very happy man. And then I'd be dead. I just, I don't know why you felt it necessary to work in a water. It doesn't matter if you're hydrated. You're about to be dead. I know, but sometimes you want a water in there just kind of cleanse the palate between- sure. wash uh, it down. Yeah, between a, a, a bite here or there. Right, right. Uh, kind of helps everything move correctly. Okay. Yeah. All right, so what about you? I respect your choices. I, I wouldn't go with any of those, but I respect them. Okay. Well, do you have any specific critiques? I guess we should we should do that before I hear yours. No. No. Well, I mean- The ranch ad was a good call. I don't love your beer choice, but- okay. I mean, I'm from St. Louis, so I've hmm. had much better beer. Uh, listen, Gansett, it's one of those things, it's not a great beer, but it's just, it's such an important beer to me that I feel like I would need to drink it before I die. You know what's amazing about this? Whenever you talk to someone about their death row meal, it's never, oh, I had this sandwich and it was good. You're always picking something that's tied to a memory. Mm-hmm. Food is such a nostalgic thing. You take a bite of something and it brings you back to a certain time in your life. So everything you chose essentially had something to do with your hometown or your childhood, which I find to be really interesting. Because that's the same avenue that I took. I'm going out big. Okay. This is a, Love the, it. The menu's expanded. Remember, you're going to die after this. Oh, yeah. I'm going. That's how death row works. I'm going ham. All right. So we're starting things off with a cheese board. Okay. I'm working in like five, six cheeses of my choosing. Maybe a charcuterie board. Mm. Some, some nuts, some dried fruits. We're just going to really pick. We're grazing throughout, okay. throughout the entrance Love here. charcuterie boards. Love charcuterie boards. Another basic thing said on this pod by me. Hey, I just talked about a spray tan for five minutes, so <laughs> I think you're safe. We're exposing ourselves. <laughs> we already have. If you listen to this podcast, we've been exposed. Yeah, 34 episodes in, we're pretty basic. Yeah. Um, so the best rolls that I've ever had in my life are from a restaurant in St. Louis called Sardella. These rolls, are, I've said this before on my social media, Instagram, M Smallman, follow me. Um, these rolls are like the Golden State Warriors of rolls, undefeated, dynasty. You could put them up against any role in the country, in the world, and they would win. Wow. They're that good. That and is a hot take. Hot like these rolls. <laughs> so the rolls from Sardella on the table. Then one of my all-time favorite things in the world is a caprese salad. I love a caprese salad, especially from Italy. The tomatoes are just so thick and ripe. The, the buffalo mozzarella, so good. So I'm working in a caprese salad. Then I'm having two entrees. Wow. Two. That's fair. So I want my grandma's tutamare, which for those who don't know, it's kind of like an angel hair pasta with seafood worked in. I love seafood. And also one of my favorite things in the world is a lobster roll. Nice. So I want a lobster roll also on the side. A cold or hot lobster roll? Thank you for asking. I was going to make that distinction. A hot lobster roll. Okay, so Connecticut style. I like it Connecticut style. The best part about me living in Connecticut was access to lobster rolls. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Hell yeah. That that's I wouldn't even call that a second entree. That's more of just like a that's side. like a sidecar. Side dish. Yeah. Um also if we're going sides, I want uh roasted Brussels sprouts with mm. a little shaved pecorino cheese on top with maybe a balsamic drizzle or some lemon. And you know what? Since we're really going for it, why not just work in a baked potato? Like a classic baked potato. Interesting. So I was gonna go baked potato as my potato side, but I just I went skillet instead. Love baked potatoes though. Hey, you're still getting the potato in there. Need a potato. You need a potato. So then for dessert, I'm going affogato, but with a hot brownie underneath. I want the brownie. I want the ice cream. I want the espresso on top. Then you're probably thinking, Michelle, you need some beverages in here. Don't worry. I'm starting off because I just I love iced tea. What's better on kind of a hot day than a crisp iced tea? Nothing. Nothing. So I want an iced tea. I want it at a certain temperature, too. Just the right amount of ice, some lemon unsweetened. Mm. Then we're working in my favorite wine of all time, Valpolicella, and we're drinking a lot of it. Multiple bottles. Multiple bottles. And then at the end, even though I have espresso with my affogato, I just want a really good coffee. Maybe throw some Baileys in there, and then you can kill me. So you're going to be hammered and full. I might kill myself eating all this food. <laughs> I might do the job myself. So does that mean you get taken off death row if you kill yourself from eating? 
I think the task is completed. Yeah. Either way. Save some tax dollars. There you go. There you go. You're doing a service to the people. So, yeah, that's where we're going. Okay, well, then random thing number three, the follow-up question is, Who's coming to dinner with you? If you can mm. bring one person with you, you know, they always say, who's who's your dream dinner party? But I'm going to minimize it. Instead of bringing the three to five people for time's sake here, one person, dead or alive, let's let's exclude family and friends. Has to be someone, public figure. Who's your public figure, dead or alive, that's coming to dinner with you, Tom? Joe Flam. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Actually, so, maybe. <laughs> so this is tough because you're you're making me pick one and I, I was really struggling between three different names. Benjamin Franklin, <laughs> Chris Farley, okay, and Jesus. Those are the three that I couldn't decide on because, look, you got Jesus. He made the Bible happen. That was important. You got Chris Farley, maybe the funniest human being ever to live. And you got Benjamin Franklin, the real linchpin most important founding father in my eyes. Also, seemed like he had the best time of all of them. He had that whole, you know, thing in France going on. He used to wear a raccoon skin uh, hat. Uh, really just seemed like a good time. Um, and I'm going to settle on Benjamin Franklin because I want to know what actually happened when they were making this country. I want to know if Johnny Hancock was as much of an a-hole as his signature looked like he was. I want to know if George Washington was really just made president because he's just kind of a pushover. Everyone talks about how quiet he was. Like, who was the true puppet master behind George Washington as the initial founding father of our country? You know, I want to know if Thomas Jefferson's getting too much credit in that room. I feel like we don't truly know how it all went down. History books lie sometimes. I want Benjamin Franklin to give me the skinny. Uh, we're going to get hammered and uh, and eat some great steaks. So go with my man Ben Franks. So when you were going through that, I thought for sure the final pick would be, yeah, I'm going to talk New Testament with Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the Bible's important to a lot of people, and Jesus is a super famous guy, maybe the f- most famous guy. Uh, yeah, that I, would, I can think of. I would say he's peak celebrity. He, he's top level famous. Uh, but I, I almost feel like eating my last meal with Jesus would be, uh, I don't know. It'd be like the paparazzi would not leave us alone, you know. And if I want to have that final meal, I want it to be a little more private. I feel like Benjamin Franklin can be a little more understated. You know, he can kind of hide his identity more than Jesus could. I would love to be a fly on the wall during that meal because I would love Benjamin Franklin to be reincarnated into this time and look at you and be like, this is what America's become. (laughs) Yeah, he can see the fruit of his labor. I just, I wonder, I would love to see his take on what's happening now in the country (laughs) that he helped build. And then he's like, you know what? Sign me up for death row as well. He'd be like, can you imagine what Benjamin Franklin would tweet? Like, what would Ben Franklin's tweets look like? They would, he would need to leave social media. That guy was a wild card. Love it. (laughs) You and Ben Franklin eating some steaks. Into it. Love it. Okay, so I went a little more new school with mine. Okay. My initial thought, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know my affinity for Anthony Bourdain, RIP. I thought Great it, monologue by you a few months ago. Thank you. That. Go back and check it out if you haven't heard it. Spoke from the heart. Um, so I'd love to talk to Bourdain. I just think he was such a transformative and transcendent person. I would love to talk to him about all of the places he went, pick his brain. But then I thought, okay. If I'm having my last meal, I want to go out with some dirt. You know, I want to get the skinny. And who is the most connected person currently in America that I could think of that has hung out with people in politics, in music, in sports, and that people respect enough to tell them what's up? And it's Oprah. So Oprah is coming to my last supper. We're going to down. And you know what? We're drinking a lot of wine at my last meal. I'm going to get Oprah loose. (laughs) I'm going to be like, listen, you might as well tell me everything that you know because I'm about to die. Yeah. Tell me about Stedman. What really goes on? Yeah. Gail, we all have questions, right? (laughs) So many questions. I'll be like, I know you've hung out with Beyonce. Spill the dirt. Like, like, (laughs) spill the dirt. Let me know what's up. Oprah is such a conversation unless she changed the game with the interview format. So I know we'd have a a great time and it should be easy. You should record a pod with her on the way out. Oh, my God. Make a drop. After you die. I was going to say the word that begins with a P, but I don't know how to pronounce it correctly. Posthumously? Posthumously. 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 Is that right? Seems right. Let's roll with it. (laughs) 
Posthumously. Posthumously. It's probably not that at all. <laughs> I thought that's what it was. Anyway, yeah. Can you imagine how epic that would be? Is I'd be like, oh, Oprah, no one's listening in, and I'm sneaky <laughs> recording her, and then you drop it, small talk, after I'm in the grave, and it's yep. all of Oprah's secrets. It'd be, I, I mean, she'd sue me for sure. Um, no, no, no. But it'd be worth it. I'll edit it. I'll upload it right before I die. I know, but I would definitely take the brunt of the blame. You know, she's got to sue somebody. Yeah, but I'll even on the podcast be like, Tom Carroll had it, no, no part <laughs> in this. Yeah, yeah that, that always works when the criminal's like, I had nothing to do with it. It wasn't me. That always works. Yeah, it'd be like Ja Rule and Fire Festival. You'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah. It was all Michelle. I'd be Billy McFarlane. You could be Ja Rule and continue living your life. Love it. All right, well, thanks, Tom. We'll catch up with you later in the pod to do some reviews. Hell yeah. Um, And now that we're both starving, let's get Joe Flam on the line. He's the executive chef of Spiaggia and Cafe Spiaggia. You probably know him from Bravo. He's Top Chef Season 15 winner, and we're going to chat with him coming up next. Take 101 ESPN on the go with the all-new 101 Sports app. See the latest videos, listen to podcasts, and join the conversation with the 101 Sports app. I love food, I love Bravo, I love good people, which makes our guest this week the perfect cocktail. And I'm so pumped to welcome in Joe Flam to Small Talk. He's the executive chef of Spiaggia and Cafe Spiaggia up in Chicago, Michelin-starred restaurant, no big deal. And you've probably seen him on Bravo. He's Top Chef Season 15 winner, also NBD. Joe, so excited to chat with you. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. How are you? No, so happy to be talking to you. Okay, so full transparency, I met Joe a couple months ago in December. I was lucky enough to go up to Chicago and attend the Feast of the Seven Fishers dinner at Spiaggia. And when I instantly met Joe, I was like, there's something about this guy that I'm really vibing with. And it wasn't just because, Joe, you were feeding me incredible food uh, for hours on end. But I think it's... It usually helps, though. (laughs) Yeah, that's usually the direct line to someone's heart. But I think it's because I realize we're both this great combo of Midwestern and Italian, which is kind of an interesting balance. When you're a Midwestern, you're usually nice and polite. But if you're Italian, you kind of don't take any crap from anybody. So as much as I appreciate that in a person is there a dish or something that you think kind of personifies being midwestern and italian oh man you know for me it's like thinking about being like midwestern and italian it's like, i kind of think of like spicy italian food but like simple stuff mm-hmm. it's like for me it's like a big pot of like red sauce you know like cooked on a winter's day where it's like you chilled it in the snow in the backyard i feel like <laughs> that's like the most midwest italian thing it's like something you never do in italy because if it snows over there they just shut down the whole country but like you know what I mean? Anyone who grew up in the Midwest is, is Italian has had the experience of, like, you know, their mom, their grandma, or them making a pot of, you know, the red sauce with sausage or meatballs and then, like, chilling in the backyard in the snow. And it's like, that's who we are. It's like we do nice things, but then, you know, it's like we're not afraid to put them in the backyard in the fucking snow. <laughs> yeah, that's so perfect. Okay, so right before you joined us, Joe, my producer Tom and I were talking food, and we were kicking around what our death row meal was. You know the end is near. Okay. What are you eating? So what's on your death row menu? You know, for me, I think it's uh, my, my just my grandma's raviolis. I think it's, you know, a bottle of wine old enough to be my parents and my grandma's raviolis. Like, it's just that would be that simple. And just like, you know, two huge plates of them. It'd be beautiful and perfect. Is there a specific wine that would be coming to, to your death row meal? Uh, you know, I think I'd probably definitely something red. I'd probably go in or champagne. I think you know what I mean. I'd say let's send it out in style. You could have like both. a really nice bottle of bubbles. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know what I mean? Course it out. Well, the best answer I've ever heard of that question is somebody asked my friend Tyler, who was a chef that, and they go, you know, what would your death row meal be? He goes, a bottle of Oxycontins and a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> um, and they go, oh, well, that's dark. He goes, I'm on fucking death row. I mean, yeah, what do you expect? Make it a, an yeah. easy, quick transition. That's a great answer. Yeah, and I was like, that's kind of like the most appropriate answer ever for that question. Yeah, here I am uh, being like, oh, you know, we all pick something tied to food memories. Like you're saying it's your grandma's ravioli. I'm thinking about when I lived in Italy, I would also pick a ravioli, like a pumpkin ravioli. And he's got it right. Yeah. He's saying, no, I'm going to numb myself so I don't remember right. that I'm about to die. <laughs> right. I'm going out not feeling the fact that I'm going to die. Like, I'm, you know, the only one who thought about this in the right way. It's like, oh, yeah. The rest of us are like, oh, great, I'm so full of ravioli. Oh, wait, lethal injection. <laughs> okay, well, I'm really interested in people's paths, and you have a really unique path to where you are right now. I love that you went to college for accounting. So tell me, what made you say, okay, you know what, accounting, not for me. I'm going to take the leap and go into culinary. 
you know, I went to school for accounting. I started working in restaurants when I was like 15, and um, it was just one of those things. I fell in love with it right away. But um, I didn't know anyone who was like a chef or anything like that. I just worked at like, you know, these were like bar and grills on the southwest side and like the southwest suburbs. And um, so the only people I knew who owned restaurants were like they had made money some other way. Uh, you know, gone to school, they were like lawyers or they were, you know, finance guys or, you know, made their money in quest ways you didn't ask. And, uh, you know, but like they made a lot of money and they bought a restaurant. So I thought that was the only way to do it. So I was like, okay, I'll go to school. I'll study business. I'll go to law school. You know what I mean? Get a big lawyer job, <laughs> make a lot of money. And, you know, when I'm 50, I'll buy a restaurant. Um, and then I got, you know, I got halfway through college and I was just like, man, I hate everything I'm doing. I, you know, I had worked in an office for a little bit. I didn't like my classes. I didn't like what I was studying. I was like, all I want to do is I want to be back in the restaurant. Um, so I started just kind of like researching like chefs. Like it started becoming, you know, you'd see more chefs on TV and stuff. And I was like, well, how do these people like become chefs? And so I just started like Googling like Emeril Lagasse. And it was like, oh, we went to culinary school. And I didn't know that was a thing. So then I started reading about culinary school. And so one day it was like, uh, you know, middle of my junior year of college. Uh, I was just like, you know what? I'm done with this. And I literally just one day I just dropped out of college. I, you know, I called my parents. I said, hey, I dropped out of school. Um, I'm not going back. I'm going to work full time next semester. And I'm moving back home in the fall. And I'm going to start culinary school. Um which went over, you know, incredibly poorly. Follow-up was going to be, what was your parents' reaction? Because I can promise you, I know my parents wouldn't have been too thrilled. Oh, man. It was like, and so, you know, being, I'm from a huge, you know, Italian family. And so my mom has, you know, my mom, has, my mom's one of nine. So she's oh, eight wow. siblings. And they're all very, you know, they're, they're lawyers, they're engineers, they're architects, they're dietitians, you know, and they're all very, you know, people with degrees. And so when you say, I'm just not going to go to college and I'm going to learn how to cook, they're like, what are you doing with your life? And everyone, and I mean, it was for years, but really the first, you know, six to eight years I was cooking every, you know, every family event, every holiday, everybody was like, okay, so you're going to go back to school now? Or are you going to go get your degree? Like, you know, what are you, when are you going to go like back to the real world and like get like, you know, a real job instead of, you know, playing this whole like cooking thing. Um, and, you know, it really wasn't until I think, you know, when I was a sous chef, that girl and the goat, then people were starting to be like, oh, like, this is like, this is like a thing. Still, like, up until I won Top Chef, my dad was kind of like, like, you're going to get a degree at some point, right? <laughs> oh, my God, Joe. We're so similar in so many ways. So same thing. I went to college. Um, I was going to be a doctor pre-med. I wanted to be a dermatologist. And everyone's like, oh, to help burn victims? I'm like, no, no, to give people Botox and make a lot of money. And after my first class, my first chemistry class, first semester freshman year, I was like, yeah, nope, not for me and changed course. There's a lot of parallels, I think, to journalism and the, the food world, which I'll talk about later. But same thing. My mm -hmm. cousins are lawyers and doctors. And when I told my parents, uh -huh. yeah, I'm going to change course and go into journalism, they were kind of like, oh, OK, well, good luck with that. <laughs> right. Well, I think it's, you know, kind of like cooking. It's like you know, I was talking to some, some other journalists in Chicago. I know, you know, people were always like, when I got my jobs early on, like, oh, wow, you work at Girl and the Goat. How did you get that job? And it's like, oh, it was really easy. I applied and I said I'd work for no money and I'd work really hard forever. Yeah. You know, and it's like, and I think journalism is kind of the same thing. It's like you can work for the coolest place you want. You just have to be willing to work harder than everyone else for less money than everyone else. And anybody you want will hire you. Right. And work like that for, as you said, for a decade. And then someone will be right. like, oh, OK, I guess it's about time we pay you. Right. Yeah, I guess you don't totally suck. So, you know what? Like, here's 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 thirty two thousand dollars a year. Like, you should be so grateful. Yeah, totally. So my first peek into real kind of the underbelly or the actual world of chef life was when I read Anthony Bourdain because he laid it out so well. He kind of revealed what mm -hmm. it was like. And like I said, there's so many parallels to what I think we do in live broadcasting and what you guys do because you're on and you have to work together. Everyone in the kitchen kind of has yeah. their role and it's almost a symphony and you have to execute your job for the next person to execute their job. And with, right. with that, and there's a start time and then there's kind of a crescendo. And whenever you're done with a live radio show, you are so depleted. But 
but with that comes this camaraderie with everyone that you've worked with. Like, we were all in this together. And it feels like it's that way with chefs, too. Do you guys have this kind of, I hate to use this analogy, but almost this, we went to war together tonight, now let's all hang out vibe? Oh, 100%. It's like, you know, we all did this thing collectively. And, you know, I've always kind of equated it to, like, you know, sharing a station with someone, sharing a line with someone. It's like it's like going on a 12-hour road trip together, and you ha- and you need the person next to you. Who's ever sitting shotgun, like, you have that same amount of space in between you. But, like, you have to turn- talk to that person for 12 hours, and you have to rely on them for 12 hours. So it's like when you get out of that fucking car, you're like, hey, you know what? Like, we just accomplished something. And it's like there's a weird sense of camaraderie, for better or worse. You know, sometimes it's like, you know, I've worked in a lot of kitchens where a lot of feelings have been taken to the bar after work. And it's, you know, not necessarily a good thing. In a lot of industries, when you're done with that day and you, you have that, okay, we've accomplished something together, what do you do? You go eat, you go drink. But what do you guys do? Right. Do you guys want to cook for each other? Or are you just like, no, no, we're going straight to cocktails. I can't even think about food right now. Well, I mean, you know, most nights it's so late. It's like usually, you know, I like when I was a cook, we, we, you know, when you're a cook, you go out four or five nights a week, sometimes six, whatever. It's like, it's like college. But like, uh, you know, now as a chef, I don't, you know, you know, baby and wife and like, uh, I go out with my cooks once a week. I take them out Saturday night, Saturday nights every week. I take all the cooks out and it's, you know, I buy the beers and we go to this little shitty Polish dive bar, uh, on the West side. And we just sit there and we drink beers and we talk shit and we have a really good time. And then usually food happens around, you know, after bar time. It's like 3.30. There's like a hot dog place that we all go to. <laughs> oh, that's um, so fun. And it's just, you know what I mean? This is place Fatso's Last Stand. And it's like they do like cheddar char dogs until like 5 in the morning on Saturday. So it's like perfect, you know. It's like everything you want. And it's like that's all we want. You know, we've been cooking fine dining food all night. We've been, you know, like just painstaking over every detail and it's like you know what i want it's like i want a hot dog i want a chart i want cheddar on it i want all the things i want fries and you know like that's it another thing too about the chef life that i think a lot of people don't really think about is the physical toll that it takes on your body you're standing up you're bending over you're getting burned you're potentially cutting yourself what kind of physical toll does it take on your body to be in that environment night in and night out I mean, you know, especially like wine cooking, like wine cooking is so physical. And, you know, now, you know, being the executive chef, it's like running the kitchen, running the path. It's still it's physical. You know what I mean? I'm on my feet all day, every day. You know, you're lifting things, you're doing things. Um, and but like as a cook, you know, as a young cook, it's just I even remember being like, like still now it's like when I go back and I like work a line shift. Like the other night, I'm like, damn, I feel old, tired, and fat. Like, I just like, just like, this just kicks my ass. Um, and you know, it's like, you still do it, you feel good. Uh, but it's, but it's hard, you know what I mean? And it's like, I'm a bigger guy, so it's like, you know, your knees, your back, low counters. Um, but I think, you know, I think what's cool though is, is there's been a big push in kind of like my generation of chefs of to be more healthy. Yeah. Um, and to be more conscious of this, because it was really bad for a long time where chefs just, you know, ran themselves into the ground. And then, you know what? You blow out your knee and it's like you, you can't be a chef anymore. You can't and work anymore. This literally sounds like sports. Like we're talking about an expiration date for a player. Right. Well, it's just like, you know, and it's like I have guys who girls who come and they transfer careers and they're like, well, I want to start being a cook. and I'm 30 years old. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool, but you better, you know, you better learn and learn quick because it's like you're not going to want to line cook when you're 34 because it's like you're old and you're going to hurt. It's like, you know, line cooking is kind of like drinking. Like when you're 22, you bounce back way quicker. <laughs> but when you're 32, it's like you're going to hurt for a couple of fucking days. It's like you're going to feel every pan you picked up. You're going to feel every beer you have. Like, you know, and it's like and it's like that's what you try to explain to people. And then they get in there and they're a year in. They're just like, oh, I'm so tired. This is so hard. It's like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is not glorious work. Joe, we have to talk about Top Chef. It had to be sure. just a wild experience for you. I can't even really imagine. And now, since you won Top Chef, you're this big star. And I know a lot of people, when they're in environments like that, like, for instance, I had Tom Sandoval in the podcast. who's on Vanderpump Rules and Bravo. And he talked about oh, yeah. just reality TV is kind of a different beast in itself where 
sure people are watching you and you get the fame aspect of it, but you're revealing your your actual personality. So it allows people to connect with you on a different level. So what's mm-hmm. that been like for you for people to not only recognize you, but to feel like they know you when you don't know them? You know, it's I, I think it's like most of the time it's like the funniest thing in the world to me because I'll be like walking somewhere. So I walk up to be like, hey, Joe. I'll be like, oh, hey, how are you? And they're like, oh, I don't know you. And they'll just, like, walk away. And I'm like, oh, you know, like, that was weird. You know what I mean? They're like, just because they, like, feel like they know me. And, like, like it's like they just initially, like, like oh, I'm saying hi. And they say hi. And then I say hi back, and they pass. And it's like, you know, we could just have a conversation. Um, and, like, that's really funny to me. Um, I, I think it's really cool. It makes us feel, you know, growing up, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. And, like, in a neighborhood where, like, everybody kind of knew everybody. So for me, in a weird way, it makes it feel like my neighborhood just got bigger and I just know more people. And I think that's really cool. Like, um, and I, you know, and it's like part of the reason I'm in this business and I love this business is like, I love meeting people. I think it's a really interesting aspect of it. Um, And so this has been a huge catapult for that. And just like, it's really, really nuts. But it's also, you know, like the weird part of it is like me and my wife just had a baby. We have a a three month year old son is like, everyone knew we were having a baby Mm -hmm. strangers on the street people i met like we were in the doctor's office and it was in people magazine that we were having a baby it was like what like you know it's like we're two kids from the south side and it's like you know like this is insane this is totally insane that like in people magazine it's like i got someone pregnant (laughs) (laughs) that's wild shit Um, i love the way you phrase that that's perfect um, I mean, you know, we were having a baby. It was my wife, probably some rando. But, like, you know, it's amazing. But um, it's still it's just, like, insane to me. Like, that was really weird. It's just, like, people, you know, just come into the restaurant. I'd, like, go to the table to, like, shave truffles. And I'd be like, so, how's the pregnancy? She must be about six months now. And, like, blah, blah, blah. And, like, are you having a natural delivery? And it's like, what? Like, what? This is what you want to talk about at dinner? Is, like, how this baby's coming out of my wife? Like, that seems a bit intense. Like, but you know why? Weird. It's because when they watch you, they're like, oh, I know Joe. They feel comfortable asking you that because they truly feel like wow. they know you. A hundred percent. And it's so funny. And, you know, it's funny when, like, I'll travel. I'll be like, oh, I'm here. And, like, so many people will just be like, oh, cool, you're here? Should we get beers? <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm like. You're uh, like, yeah, like, Bobby, uh, that's what no, I want to do. <laughs> right. And it's like, you know, and it's like. As chefs, we do it a lot for each other, though. You know, I'm going to a new city, and, like, I'll reach out to chefs I don't know, and I'll be like, hey, coming to Miami, uh, I'd love to come check out your restaurant. Can you squeeze me in? You know, same thing. Chefs will be coming to Chicago. They'll be like, hey, they'll hit me up. Be like, hey, I'm coming to Chicago. Can I come meet at your restaurant? It's like, absolutely. And, you know, roll out the red carpet for them. But it's really funny now just, like, when random people are like, oh, you're coming to Tampa? Why don't you stay with me and my brother, George? It's like, uh, no. Like, I have a hotel. Like, that's weird. Obviously, the the fanatics and the fandom is one thing. In sports, we have what's called jersey chasers, as you know, just people that kind of loiter. They want to be near athletes and the fame sure. factor here. What's that like in the culinary world? Do you guys have groupies? So, um, like, it's weird. We call them apron chasers. <laughs> I and love that. Like, there are like weird people who are like really, really into it. Especially you go to the food and wine events, and you're like, okay, it's bizarre. It's like the whole thing is very, very strange to me. It's just like they're like, oh my god, you know, these people are these people, and it's like, I mean, I care about other chefs because it's what I do and it's what I care about, and it's like you know my thing. But it's like always just like blows my mind when people are like, you know, like. We were in Aspen Food and Wine. This lady almost literally peed on the street when she saw me and Joe Sasto and my friend Fossi walking down the street. I was like, this is nuts. Like, <laughs> you're a grown woman. You're about to pee on the sidewalk. So when these apron chasers are loitering and they're waiting for you <laughs> or are waiting for you and your friends, I know it's not hyper specifically to you. I don't even know how to ask this question delicately, <laughs> but is it like, oh oh, okay, I just want to hang out with you, you know, hang out in air quotes, or do they expect more than that? It's like a hangout and then they want you to cook for them afterwards. Like, what's the protocol there? I don't know. I feel like, you know, it's probably like... Um... You, you know, like, I, I don't know. I feel like there's probably always that ulterior, ulterior motive. You know what I mean? It's like, I think it's, you know, it's like, I'm sure for you, when you beat guys, it's like, oh, they want to talk to me about sports or what are they trying to do here? And it's like, 
And I, 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 it kind of feels like that. It's like, you don't talk to me about food or, you know, you're just trying to get in my kitchen. <laughs> like, you know, what's, what's, what's happening here? Like, try to get a couple drinks in me, see if I cook something. Yeah, get in my kitchen is, is the perfect phrase because it could be taken so many ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so back to Top Chef. I love the show. It's an amazing show. There's a lot of parts of it, though, that really give me anxiety, and we need to talk about quick-fire challenges. So when oh when that happens, and it's like, okay, here are your ingredients, eight and a half minutes on the clock, take me through that process. How does your mind work in that minute, and how do you develop the plan? Okay, this is what I'm going to do and this super, super abbreviated period of time to make this fabulous dish. So, like, the elimination challenges are, like, you know, more of, like, like a boxing match or, like, a fight like that where you have time, you have a plan, you have things of it. Quick fires are like you're walking down an alley and somebody jumps on you. It's like you just fucking react and try to survive. That's it. And it's just like you just kind of black out. You're like, ah, like your arms and legs are flailing. And you just like you make it happen. Like, I don't even like watching it, like watching this season. I'm like, how do I do those quick fires? And it's like I know like my brain just turned on in that moment of like, you know, muscle memory of like, Every, you know, recipe in my catalog, all these, you know, dishes that I've cooked in the past 12 years. And, you know, sometimes you're just throwing stuff together and hope it works. But it's just like, you know, in retrospect, you know, the best part of that show was when we did the last quick fire. And it was like, and I was like, I never have to do a quick fire again ever in my life. <laughs> it's just that sense of relief. Well, and that's not really something that you can prep for. And no, and I mean, like, I think people, you know, people have been on the show multiple times and stuff like that. I think they practice recipes on like 30 minutes and know things they can get done and i know chefs who are on competitive cooking shows regularly and they have like you know teams and they work with it i mean i just went in and just was like fuck it um but like it's it's you know the intensity of it and like really time management on that small of a level is so difficult and you're like because if you think about like you know, somebody, I forget who put it this way. It's like, it's not like being in your kitchen at home. And it's not like, it's I'm close to being in my kitchen at the restaurant where it's like, I have all my stuff. It's ready. I know where it is. It's like going into someone else's kitchen you've never been in before and be like, okay, cook something in 30 minutes. Like you don't even know what's in the fridge. Right. So it's just like, you're just running. Your stress is through the max. Like your hands are like shaking. Like you're just like, Okay, breathe, breathe, breathe. And we're in Colorado, so we're at altitude. So you're just, like, gasping for air. It's not like any of us are in fantastic shape, you know <laughs> what I mean? And it's like, uh, you're just dying. It was like, quick fires were the absolute worst. We did some shoot after, like, all the filming was done. And me and Adrian, who I was in the final with, we went to New York, and we were shooting for some magazine. They are like, oh, we thought it'd be fun if we had you guys, like, do a quick fire. And both of us looked at the guy, and we're like, fuck you. <laughs> like, there's nothing fun about a quick fire. We do not want to do a quick fire. Like we were so bad. We would do the stupid quick fire. We were so, and I was like, I never want to do one of these again. Like it is, it's, it's brutal. It's so stressful. Well, and not to mention you're doing it with cameras on you. The cameras go away. You forget about the cameras. Like the cameras aren't weird. The weird part is there's no one there. So it's like, you're in a completely quiet kitchen. That's the weirder part. You know, there's no music. There's no nothing. When you're watching the show, everything's like doop, 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 doop. But, like, you know, like, when you're in there, it's just eerily quiet. All you hear is, like, pans, you know? You hear burners going on. You hear pans. You hear knife. You know, you hear, like, like, and it's just, it's really quiet. And it's 30 minutes of just, like, little of us talking back and forth to each other. But it's weird that it's, like, you know, there's so much intensity and adrenaline in a very, very quiet room. And that has to be kind of ominous as you're as you're doing all of this. Or do you just forget what's happening and you're so focused on the task at hand? It's kind of ominous, especially in the beginning, because you're like, I think, you know, especially it's like if you grew up playing sports, you're so used to, you know, like big games, big moments. You feed off the crowd as much as the game, I think. Like, at least for me, like always with stuff like that, like the intensity of, you know, like a gym. The intensity of, you know, a bunch of people screaming, like you feed off of that. And it's like, so you, all the, the intensity is just like totally self-involved and there's nobody there. And then it's like when you're watching the show with people, you have that intensity of everybody that are like yelling and screaming when we'd have watch parties. And that was really cool. But that was, you know, like nine months later. Yeah. That so has it's to like be a so really weird. weird thing. Like, you know, and it's like when I won, it's like, you know, there's nobody, 
like, you know, it's not like all my friends and family are there or stuff like that. It was, you know, they equated it's like winning the Super Bowl in a missile silo. <laughs> and then, okay, so take me through what it's like having your food critiqued. Because when you're at Spiaggia, Cafe Spiaggia, for most people, that is such an elevated dining experience for them. And that is the best food that they're going to eat. And so they're so probably effusive in their praise for what you're presenting them and for what they're consuming. So what's it like for you to go from being in that environment to a space where you're making all this stuff on the fly in a high-pressurized situation, and then you have these people sitting in front of you that are going to pick it apart? Well, and it's like, one, you have the people sitting in front of you who are going to pick it apart. And then you have, you know, whatever, the couple million people watching who are going to pick it apart, you know, on Twitter, on, you know, Uproxx articles, on whatever, of like, oh, this sucks. You know, it's like, fuck you, you weren't there. Like, you know, <laughs> like, uh, and I think that's the worst part. You know, sitting, like, at the judges' table, though, it was so hard because you're like, you know, you're just like, I just want to, I want to keep going. I want to keep going so bad. And, like, being on the bottom, like, if you were in the bottom three, like, the first time I was in the bottom three, I was like, this is the worst feeling <laughs> Ever. You're like, you know, my food didn't deliver. I could be going home. Like, this is what I came out here for. Like, you know, and it's just like, you're, you know, I, you know, I remember the first time I was on the bottom three, I survived. And I was like, I never want to do that again. I never want to be on the bottom again. And it's like, you saw some people, they were on the bottom once and like went home right after because it's like it got in their head and then they just never could recover. But it's just like, it's really, really hard sitting up there. Um, but then, you know, like you do a dish and it's a home run and you're like, I'm on top of the world like that. It, it was such a it was such like a like a gambling feeling. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Of like when you're winning, you're like, oh, yeah, baby. Like, you know, like, here we go. I got the hot hand. Um, you're on top of the world. And then you lose like your kid's college tuition and you're like, well, this sucks. Why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> was there one judge in particular that you would always kind of be like, OK, I'm going to brace myself for their critique? You know, well, you never knew who the guest judge was going to be. And I think the, the I, for me, the hardest judge was, like, Padma, because, like, Tom's a chef. Tom's a chef who is like a lot of chefs I've worked for. So it's like you can kind of know, like, I know he's going to see through my technique, whether it's good or bad. You know, I know he's going to understand the history of what I'm trying to do and, like, you know, kind of where I'm coming from, where Padma is just, you know, like, whatever, a food expert. So it's just like – she might just not like something, you know, where it's like Tom, even if he doesn't like something, it'll be a little bit more like, yeah, but I know what this is and what it takes to get here. And I feel like you get a little bit more from that where it's like Padma, I felt was like a little bit more of a wild card of like, you know, sometimes I was just like, oh, yeah, she, you know, hates this. Um so, you know, I, th- I thought that was like a little bit trickier. So with the show, obviously, a lot of doors have been open to you. Who's the one person that you've met because of this or an experience that you have? I know that there's been a ton, but is there one that kind of stands above everything where you say, wow, I can't believe that this has happened as a result of the show? Um, Man, there's been just, I mean, an incredible one. I think one of the most incredible ones, like right at the end of filming, we went, um, I did uh, Watch What Happens Live uh-huh. with uh, Andy Cohen, and I was like the bartender. And, you know, I was like, okay, you know what I mean? The people on the show will probably be like, you know, like one of those Tom guys or like a real housewife or some shit. Um, <laughs> but, like, it was uh, Elizabeth Hurley and David Ohio. And um, me and my wife were sitting there, and she and she was like, well, like, how good can Elizabeth Hurley still look? And then, you know, like, if you've seen Elizabeth Hurley recently, she still looks, like, insanely hot. Um and she, like, walks in and walks right by me. And my wife's like, I want to fucking die right now. <laughs> uh, but, like, we were leaving the set. And, like, they had just – they this was the first place they ever announced that I had one top chef. And we were leaving. And Elizabeth Hurley walks up to me. And she goes, well, you must be a pretty brilliant chef then. And I was like, don't even talk to me. I'm going to throw up right now. Like, get away from me. Like, this is, this is insane. Like, how is this – how is this happening? You know, that was, like – definitely one of those huge ones that was just like crazy to be like talking them talking to me about how like they think you know like oh wow you must be you know quite the chef like that's that was that was nuts to me um that was a cool one um i got to meet uh frank thomas and carlton fisk do a dinner with them and you know as a white Sox fan that was like just the coolest 
Yeah, I saw that, that you cooked for their Hall of Famers dinner. I thought, because I, when I met you, we talked about sports, and I, when I was researching a bunch of stuff for this interview, I saw you got to do that, and I thought, oh, so both of those, actually. If you told young Joe Flam as he's watching Austin Power saying, hey, Elizabeth Hurley is going to say you're a brilliant chef, and you're also going to cook at the Hall of Famers dinner for Carlton Fisk and Frank Thomas, what would young Joe Flam say to that? Yeah, I don't even know. Like, that's, like, the crazy thing to me is that, like, you know, like, even these thoughts in my head 10 years ago, five years ago, it's like, no way. And it's, like, <laughs> that's why it's, it's just so wild to me is, like, meeting these, you know, these people. And it's just, like, I feel, you know, like, just so fortunate to have these opportunities and, that you know. It's incredible. All right. Well, let's do a sports hypothetical here. So I'm going to give you three Chicago sports stars. They're coming to dinner at your house. Anything goes, any ingredients, the menu is open, and you have to tell me what you are going to cook for them, okay? Okay. Okay. First, I saw that you tweeted at this person to come to Spiaggia that you would cook for them. So Kyle Long, Bears offensive lineman, is coming to your house. What are you going to make for him? Yeah. uh, Big, big big Kyle Long fan. Uh, I think, you know. I ran into his brother at the Super Bowl in a dive bar in Atlanta, and I was like, you know, I'm usually not the type to go up to people, but we had been obviously drinking for like three days. And, uh, and I was like, oh, my God, dude, I love your brother. <laughs> he probably loved <laughs> that, though. Was like, the, right, the, the, the next thought in my head was like, man, I hope this dude doesn't hit me. Um, <laughs> but um, I think he came over. I'm going like whole standing rib rest, prime rib, you know, busting mm. them out, going big and classic on them, you know, throw it on the grill, give them, you know, a nice, 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 you know, however much you want, two bones, three bones, rib roast, get it going. Okay. Any sides for Kyle? Because, I mean, he's a big boy. He's going to need to eat a lot. I mean, he's a big boy. I think, you know, I, I think we're going, I think we're going all grill. We're just going ribeyes off the grill. We're going carrots off the grill, maybe a little classic wedge salads. A nice potato gratin, something like that. Ooh, sounds great. Okay, so you are a noted White Sox fan. Uh, before we bring in the next, what would you cook for this person? What's your reaction when you found out the White Sox didn't get Manny Machado? Um, <laughs> that you know what? It's we're we're, we're moving on. We're uh, <laughs> we're Mike Trout, twenty twenty. I'm not, yeah, you're, you're telling everybody Mike Trout, twenty twenty. I keep reaching out to him on Instagram, trying to get him in for dinner. Uh, no trout about it. He's coming. That's that's. We're just moving on. That's it. No trout about it. I'm in. You heard it here first. My trout to the Sox next year. Okay, so you're a Sox fan, but what are you going to do if Chris Bryant from the Cubs is coming to dinner? You know what's funny is actually the Cubs guys, Bryant's come in, Rizzo's come in. Um, the chef I work for, Tony Manswano, he's opening a restaurant right now with Joe Madden in Wrigleyville. So Joe Madden has come in, you know, like, 20 times like and he's actually he's a really really great guy but it was uh i cooked for anthony rizzo one time but the first time he came in and rizzo's a, a huge guy um even you know compared to me a pretty big guy and i went to his table i went to shave truffles and my chef walks up and goes just so you know anthony this guy's a sock fan <laughs> he just kind of looked at me and i was like uh yep like great game though by the way but you know those guys <laughs> Those guys come in. Um, I think, you know, it's like I want to show them, you know, the best of, of of what the South Side has to offer. Maybe, you know, talk them into coming down to 35th Street. So I think I'm, I'm doing the tasty menu for them. Giving, them, giving them the full spiel, you know, trying to talk them into coming, coming south. Okay, so you're going to woo them. Yeah, Mike, Mike Trout, Chris Bryant, we'll get them both in 2020. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Okay, so I wanted to add a Bulls player to this list, but the Bulls are, how do I say this delicately, kind of a dumpster fire right now. So <laughs> so I'll let you but choose. Now, and then now they start winning. It's like, could you guys just not at least win if you're not going to win? So I'll let you choose any Bulls player throughout history that is coming to your house for dinner, and you oh. tell me what you're going to cook for them. Um, you know who I'd, want, who I'd want to cook for? This is kind of an odd one. Uh, but my wife's Croatian, so I think I'd want Tony Kukoc to come over for dinner and do nice. like a whole Croatian style lamb roast, just party it up, slots of, shots of Slivovica, tons of Karlovacos going around, and just you know, huge Croatian party with the Kukoc. 
That sounds awesome. Well, speaking of your wife, anyone that follows you on Instagram knows that you have a beautiful family. You have an awesome wife. You have such a gorgeous son, Luca. So, uh, by the way, I usually hate baby hashtags because it's like their full name or some phrase. But you have, I don't even know how you phrase it, but your hashtag for your baby Flambino is the best one I've ever seen. It makes me laugh every time I see it. So props on being so creative and funny. Um, But when your son grows up, what's the first thing that you want to teach him how to cook? You know, I have like so we, we we just bought a house on the south side. I'm like dying. I want to build like a like a pizza oven in the backyard. I'd love to teach him how to make you know like just like hand stretched Neapolitan style pizzas and like you know like like I have this like very like, romanticized image in my head of like us in the backyard like you know him like a little pizzolo like firing pizzas off and you know it being the best time. But realistically, it'll probably be a celiac who hates you know cooking. <laughs> Yeah, wouldn't that just be the curse of your life? Like your son grows up and he's like, "No, Dad, I'm a vegetarian and I can't eat dough." Right? You know, and I'm just like, "Yeah, we're having another kid." <laughs> totally. Uh, I remember reading about Ina Garten, Barefoot Contessa, who says there's one ingredient she won't touch, she won't put it in anything, and that's cilantro. Oh. So, what about you? Is there something that you just avoid at all costs if you can, ingredient wise? Um, you know. I try to, even if things I don't like, I try to make them in a way, like, you know, I'm like, well, if I can get myself to like this ingredient, other people really like it because I don't like it. But the one, I just, pork liver, I just, like, I just can't do pork liver. I just, I've tried a bunch of times, but every time, it's just too much. It's too much for me. Like, I've tried it in different things, and I know a lot of people like it, but I, I can't. From a chef's perspective, you can, of course, Google what are the best restaurants in town and figure it out that way. How do you find a restaurant kind of off the beaten path or that low-key a lot of people don't know about that will have awesome food? I, I love, you know, just trial and error from, you know, I mean, we, like, we come into work, and I'm sure you guys, you know, you're coming into work, and you guys are talking about sports every day and talking about what happened last night. And, you know, that's part of our day, too. But we're also talking about, you know, everybody comes in, it's like, oh, where'd you eat yesterday? Oh, you're off tomorrow? Where are you eating tomorrow? Uh, you know, like, what are you? And it's like, we're always all researching, we're all looking. So it's like big, you know, just like talking to friends where they're eating. And I love just, you know, like, if there's a new place in my neighborhood, like, I'm going to go try it. Like, just go give a whirl. If I see a place I've never seen before and it looks interesting, like, I'm going to go try it. Like, and just like trying lots of different places and, you know, seeing what's good and i think that's 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 a lot of it not being afraid to go you know i think a lot of people they find a place they like and that's their spot right you know what i mean they eat lunch at the same place two or three times a week where it's like i try to go somewhere different every week i mean i have my standbys where it's like how i love you know my italian sub from there or i love you know my late show from there but it's like i also love just going out discovering new places like that for me is so much fun like i can't wait till you know my son's old enough to like share that with me where it's like on our days off together, we can go and just, like, go eat at new places. Uh, well, you should tell your Bravo family to turn that into a TV show because I would absolutely watch Joe and Luca pal around Chicago and find new spots. That sounds like an awesome show. Jo- Joe and Luca go to Tom Tom. Yeah. <laughs> a little crossover action. Okay, last yeah. one for you, Joe. I mean, the world is your oyster. You you win Top Chef. You're, you have all this amazing exposure. Things are going so well for you. What's the master plan? What's something that when you look into the future, that's next on the horizon? Right now, um, I mean, everything has just been, it's been the most insane year of my life by, you know, times a million. Uh, but, you know, still still my dream is to one day, you know, uh, hopefully open my own restaurant, own my own restaurant. Uh, that's that's definitely, you know, something that I really want to do one day. So, um, I mean, that's the future. And I think just keeping myself open for all sorts of opportunities and, you know, that's it. Well, that sounds great. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I'm bummed that Tom, our producer here, and I didn't come up to Chicago because I heard you did the Barstool Sports Podcast and you cooked for them. Yeah, I mean, you guys come up to Chicago, I'll cook for you. Or if you get me down to St. Louis, I got a couple of buddies down there who, uh, you know, I'm sure uh, Gerard Kraft or uh, Kevin Nash would be happy to squeeze me a little space in their kitchen and make you guys lunch. Oh, we have connects there. We're going to make that happen. Podcast round two, you come to St. Louis. That sounds awesome. Oh, I like it. Chef Roundtable. We'll get uh, we'll get those boys in. I know they're big sports guys, too. It'd be fun. That would be so fun. Well, Joe, you are the best. Thank you so much. Oh, no, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Well, you know what time it is. Call to action. If you haven't already, head to Apple Podcasts, search for Small Talk, subscribe to it, rate it, preferably five stars, and leave a review. Tom, before we get to the reviews, how awesome is Joe Flam? That guy's the man. 
I, I it, that was so awesome. I and I said it on the front end, and now I'm reaffirming it on the back end. He completely lived up to the hype for me. I mean, that guy just seems like the ultimate hangout dude, right? Like. Don't you want to just drink beers and eat awesome food with that guy? You've done that. And wasn't it awesome? So I got to tell you, not to humble brag, um, <laughs> Joe and I have a mutual friend, our friend Matt. Shout out Matt. Who's, up, Matt? A, who's amazing. And um, Matt was one of the people that I went to Italy with over the summer. And so we were in Italy. He's like, oh, my God, my friend Joe does this Feast of the Seven Fishes dinner at his restaurant leading into Christmas, Italian restaurant, Italian feast. He's like, we should all go and it'll be an Italy reunion. And so we're like, yeah, yeah, sick. Well, it turns out to it's Joe Flam, who was the winner of Top Chef, and it's at Spiaggia, which is an unbelievable restaurant. So it was a seven-course meal with their interpretations of the Feast of the Seven Fishes with wine throughout. What's up? It was so good, and Joe kept coming to the table. It was such a loose environment because it was kind of a small, intimate gathering. Was it as loose as that conversation? Because yes. that guy just lets it fly. It's oh amazing. Yep. He's the best. He's the best. I feel like I'm a best friend of his already. I know, which is such an amazing quality. And I didn't even talk to him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he came to the table and was chatting us up. We were taking tequila shots with him. Hell yeah. It was so fun. And that's how I roped him into doing this. I was like, you should do my podcast. He's like, totally. <laughs> Best way to get someone to agree to something. Get him a little drunk. After tequila. Hey. All right. Well, back to the reviews. This one comes from Tony VSTL. He says, title, this pod is A plus content. Five stars. Thank, Thank you. you. He says, you guys and girl are legit. Always a great listen. TC Fresh, welcome to STL. Beers on me if I see you around. Cool. Steve, do. Dude, I have cats and I hate them, but it makes me a cat guy. Thank you, Tony. He's a cat guy. He says, don't fight it, bro. Just accept what we are. <laughs> Amazing line. Michelle, you're just the best. I saw you at the PGA, but didn't say hi. It felt odd because I know who you are, but to you, I'm a complete stranger. I'm sure you all get that. What's the etiquette, guys? Keep them coming and take care. Hmm. It's kind of what we talked about with Joe. Yeah. It's a weird concept because if you're listening to this, you obviously know a lot about us and you feel like you know us, and you do. You actually do know us, but we're just not aware of you. Just like Joe said, people coming up to him saying, hey, Joe, if you ever see Tom or I out, first of all, you probably won't recognize us because we're not as visible as Joe Flam. Not at all. Um, but if you do for some reason, say what's up. Yeah, hell yeah. It makes us feel great. I have to tell you, I have a great story. So I was at the gym the other day, and I'm getting ready to fill up my water bottle, and the girl behind me, I turn around, and she goes, oh, my God, are you Michelle Smallman? I was like, yeah, what's up? Do I know you? And she goes, I listen to your podcast. I love it. I go, oh, my gosh, thank you. Because most people, they recognize me. It's from the morning show here, the Bernie show. Correct. Our, day, was, our day job. Our day job. And she's like, I actually left a review and you guys read it. And I was so pumped. And I go, who are you? She goes, I'm Riverboat Tara. <laughs> and I was like, it was the, one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me because it, it was just everything coming full circle. And she was so cool. Shout out, Tara, if you're listening to this. And I couldn't wait to text Tom and see you. I'm like, I met Riverboat Tara at the gym. <laughs> so oh my you God. guys, or if you're listening to this, you think, oh, we know you, but we want to know who you are. Hell yeah. It's just like Joe Flam said, right? You're just adding more neighbors to the neighborhood. Exactly. And again, it makes us feel loved. It makes us feel like uh, we're we're actually providing a service for people that uh, is, is, you know, useful and... Uh, Keep it coming. Yeah. If you see me, give me a pat on the back and be like, what's up, Freeze Pops? Pat him on the back hard. All right. <laughs> last one is from Benny Potts. He says, give the people more of what they want. Five stars. The dynamic between Saruti, Carol, and Smallman is second to none. That said, small truck truly hedges the line between somewhat regular guilty pleasure and a full-time committed vice. I'm ready to go all in and take the next step. Maybe even push aside another full-time pod commitment that's had my heart for a while. But the inconsistency of the program's airing isn't doing itself any favors. This is hands down a five-star program, particularly when you consider the top-notch takes thrown down by Freeze Pops. Yes. Ultimately, though, it'd be nice if there were a little more regularity behind when our dynamic duo trio met to regale us with another dose of small talk. So... Whoa. Benny Potts, thank you so much for bringing this up. What a scribe. Yeah, great review, by the way. Jesus. Really thorough. Appreciate the compliments. But I'm so glad he brought this up because this is something that we debate all the time. Should we address this on the podcast? So we would love to do this podcast once a week. We would love to do it twice, even three times a week. Yeah. Five. No, that's too much. Too much. I don't have time for that. But <laughs> as we mentioned, it's not our full-time job. So Tom and I work on a three-hour morning show every day. So 
I'm getting up at 4 a.m. Tom's getting up earlier than I am. We're working throughout the day. And Steve, obviously, is in Bristol executive producing a live TV, three-hour TV and radio show as well. So to coordinate all of our schedules, not only just based on availability we have and then availability of not only a studio here in St. Louis but a studio in Bristol – gets really tricky and sometimes complicated. To find a way to have the Venn diagrams directly overlap is really a struggle. We would love to do it more often. And then, you know, to have guests, we're, we're at the mercy of their schedule. Obviously, Joe Flam is a busy guy. Obviously, Sean Evans is a busy guy. So we're coming in at, at various hours to tape these podcasts, then the man hours it takes to edit them. So, Benny, I hear you. I wish <laughs> that we could make it more than once a week, but we, we've we developed a plan. I'm getting ready to head to Columbia, South America. When we get back, we have a schedule in place. We have some great stuff on deck for Small Talk, so we hear you loud and clear. We are sorry, and we're going to make a better effort. Benny boy. <laughs> oh my, why'd you have to do that? <laughs> Look, I have nothing else to add. You, you just hit the nail completely on the head. We'd love to do it more. It's kind of hard to do it more with our current setup, uh, but you know what? We're grinding here for you. And again, if you see us out in public, say hello. Benny Potts, if you see us out in public, uh, I don't know. I want to, like, hire you as a ghostwriter or something. I want you to, like, write my rundowns for me. Yeah, he could buy, He could write all the teases for the pod. <laughs> yeah. So th- thank you for the reviews, guys. Those were great. Yeah, seriously. Thank you for listening, subscribing, rating, reviewing to Small Talk. And thank you again to Joe Flam. What an outstanding interview. The best. If you're in the Chicago area, make sure to hit up Spiaggia Cafe Spiaggia for an outstanding meal. And check him out on Bravo. Go back and watch it on demand. Top Chef Season 15. Spoiler alert. He's the winner. <laughs> We will be back in action next week. I can confirm and promise that we do have a PSP scheduled for next week. And if you're into that, it's going to drop early in the week before I head out of the country. So get excited. But until then, good night, Boston. Thanks for listening to Small Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app.